Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A new bi-weekly show on the Fish Stripes podcast, starring Isaac Azut and Kevin Barral. Fish Stripes Unfiltered starts right now. Episode 5 of Fish Stripes Unfiltered, already down 5 episodes with my guy Isaac Azut. It's just me and him today. Isaac, how are you, man? World Series is over, so now it's really the offseason and we do have a lot to talk about. Yeah, man, it's uh, it was a fun World Series for sure. I think there's a couple, you know, blowouts in there that Major League Baseball probably didn't want, but it's definitely a disheartening reality that here we are, early November, no more baseball, so we'll have to get used to just the off season. Yeah, make sure to subscribe on YouTube and follow us wherever you listen to this podcast. I guess not not with our faces on on the screen, so you could just listen to that there. Um, let's talk about the World Series. The Houston Astros did lose to the Atlanta Braves. In the six-game series, um, that last game, I guess, was the highlight of that whole series where Max Fried, was. Ex- everyone thought he would just get crushed because his postseason hasn't been too good lately. And and no, he he shut out the the the, the Houston Astros. So, what were your thoughts on that uh, game seven, game six, and I guess the whole World Series? Yeah, well, game six was just you know disappointing for me. I, I went out to try and watch it and hoping that they'd force a game seven. The Astros would, but. It didn't happen that way. They got ahead early with Soler, and that guy really just impressed me. Freed was spectacular for him to come back the way he pitched in Game 2 versus Game 6. Yeah. It was great. He really struggled in Game 2. And the other thing that stood out to me, obviously what we're all going to be talking about, is Charlie Morton pitching on practically a broken leg for the better part of two innings. So I think that was really awesome. But overall, it was a decent World Series. There wasn't really you know, like any close, close games where there's like a tough ending besides Game 4, where it was a 3-2 Braves win. But other than that, it was, a, it was a decent World Series. Yeah, and I think what really, I guess, stuck out to me was all these outfielders that the Braves brought in and how successful they were. I mean, Jorge Soler, he, he hit three bombs because I think one of them even hit a light post or some some kind of light in, in Houston. 
Then you have Adam Duvall, who was on your screen for the YouTube viewers. Uh, he had a very successful postseason, had a nice grand slam, even though it resulted in a loss. Still a bomb. Eddie Rosario, who who came in, was the NLCS MVP. Uh, and I'm missing Jock Peterson, who, who was also had a pretty good postseason. So I guess that's something else we could talk about. And all of them now free agents. And we'll get into Duvall later because I do want to get into him and I guess his situation with what, what happened with Miami and uh, the, the option, the mutual options. But yeah, what are your thoughts on all these outfielders? Which, although we did talk about that on the stream, we could talk about it here as well. Yeah, well, you know, it was a uh, it was like the epitome of uh, of being buyers at the trade deadline. You know, like they gave up nothing. We know firsthand what they gave up for Duvall. Um, and just for Peterson, they didn't give up much. Rosario either. And yeah, Soler was not having a great year. And just they all got hot at the right time for me. It's like, you know, like we talked about last night, Eli said it. Peterson got hot in the division series. It was Duvall and, and the World Series. Soler in the World Series, I'm sorry. Rosario in the Championship Series. And they just got hot at the right time. And in the postseason in Major League Baseball, that's all you need. You don't, you don't need to be the best team because I would say the Rays were probably the worst NL team in the postseason. And they ended up winning the whole thing. So they got hot at the right time. The bullpen got hot at the right time with Matzik and everyone. So it was, a, it was a great World Series for them. Yeah, and something else we talked about on the stream last night. We're filming this on Thursday. Uh, Baseball America's Top 10 Prospects came out. I think that's something else we could talk about on here, which is which is an interesting top 10 when you look at it, what the Marlins want to do in 2025, which they came out with their projected lineup. Uh, hopefully we could get that on the screen there. But Yuri Perez, number one, Khalil Watts, number two, Sixto is number three, Edward Cabrera is number four, Max Meyer is five, uh, Jake Eater is six, Peyton Burdick, seven, Jose Salas is eight, Ian Lewis is nine, and then you have JJ Blade at number 10. Uh, I think what surprised me most was Cam Miser not being on this list, Isaac. We mentioned that on the live stream. Uh, what were your thoughts on this list as a whole? Well, I think what stands out is, you know, different platforms and different, you know, companies that do this, they they put different, like, you know, they, these guys really focus on, I think, upside and, like, you know, how young they were, these guys, because you have Watson and Uri Perez, two 18-year-olds at number one and two, respectfully. Yeah. And, you know, other guys like MLB Pipeline and Fangraphs, they sort of go off performance before, you know, just pure upside. So that's where you can see all the youth in this list. You see Ian Lewis, 18-year-old, Uri Perez, Khalil Watson. I think there's another one that I'm – Salas, another 18-year-old. So 40% of the list are kids that haven't even gone to double A. So I think that was the interesting part. And not having Cam Meisner, considering the season he had versus Blade. Blade being at 10, I think you could have easily swapped Meisner for Blade in that spot. But yeah. the guys at Baseball America know a hell of a lot more than me. So that was a it was a nice list. Yeah, and looking at that projected 2025 lineup, they have Eddie Cabrera as a closer, which shocked me. I, I mean, the guy we've only seen him as a starter. And I mean, that's what we expect him to do. That's what we expect him to be in that rotation in 2022 with the Marlins if he starts up in the rotation. I mean. Could that closure rule be be an option for the Marlins when it comes to Eddie Cabrera? Yeah, I, I don't put too much weight on those projected ones. I, know, I remember reading that when I was like younger as well, and like <laughs> I think at the time it was like Tyler Cole like being number one starting pitcher. So you know, I don't know where they can know who's going to be the starting rotation three years from now. But yeah, I, I think the Marlins can do everything they can to have all of their starting pitchers remain starting pitchers. I don't think I don't see any of them transitioning to a closer role anytime soon. But yeah, the interesting part was that yeah, they had Garrett Cooper as their yeah. DH at 34 years old. So that was the that was the fascinating part for me. Yeah, we talk about Cooper being that odd man out, and 
you know, they have him as a DH. They they value him highly, which, which I mean, if they value him that high over a guy like maybe Lewin who who could have fit into that DH role if it made sense, or or you put maybe uh Peyton Burdick at some point in, in DH or, or whoever it is. I mean, they they valued Cooper pretty high there. I would say at least maybe they look like in terms of he's pretty young, makes sense to put him at the DH. Maybe Aguilar is gone. Uh, in 2025, maybe it's something like that. But obviously, from here now until, until 2025, it's going to be a while. So maybe it makes sense to keep Cooper there. Uh, I wanted to move on to some Brian Reynolds talk, which uh, the report came out, I think, a, like a week ago, is that Pittsburgh and uh, Seattle Mariners had some talks. Uh, during, I think it was during the trade deadline. And they asked for Julio Rodriguez, the number one prospect's uh, outfield stud, uh, what, what were your thoughts on that? And looking at that itself, Miami's offer has to be a lot better than whatever we thought it could be right now. Yeah, the Mariners tried to get a couple studs for their – Chris Bryant as well. Yes, they, they really tried, the Mariners. It was good to see a team like the Mariners. You know, they're really trying to, you know, end that postseason drought, which is longest in baseball currently. So, yeah, they were apparently asked for – they were asked for uh, Julio Rodriguez, who was just a bona fide – consensus top three prospect in all of major league baseball in my opinion so if you know if that's where the starting point was and that wasn't enough you can only imagine what miami would have to give up there was a the trade um machine they tweeted out what it would take for juan soto and it was like an entire farm system gone for miami so it wouldn't be much further from that honestly it would take it would take khalil watson it would take uri perez it would take max meyer it would take jake eater and probably some more so i don't know if that's a trade any marlin fan or any uh, for an office executive wants to make, but if if they do, it's gonna it's gonna hurt. But it'll be nice in the in the near future, at least. Yeah, just for a little reference on MLB Pipeline, Julio Rodriguez is the number two ranked prospect, and it is behind uh, Adelie Rushman from the Baltimore Orioles. So, yeah, th- this guy is an absolute stud. And I mean, if if Seattle somehow pull, does that trade, it would be a little shocking because this guy. You know, as you said, top three guy in, in the MLB pipeline. I don't know where he's on Baseball America. I, I would assume he's top three or top five. But Miami, what they would have to give up, you know. Before knowing this, I, I would say maybe Max Meyer and uh, maybe Jose Salas. I wouldn't consider Kilo Watson. But now, yeah, not, now you really have to give up Meyer, Eater, Yuri, Watson. And I don't think that's something the Marlins are going to do. Although they're going to make big moves and they're going to try to make winning moves, as we all assume. I don't see it happening in at least for Brian Reynolds. Maybe they go for a cheaper option, and, and we'll get into that in a bit when we analyze more outfield options. But as we all uh, add a little bit of a segment on the pod, we do the player spotlight. Last time we did Sandy. Today we do Pablo Lopez, just going down the rotation. So, what were your thoughts on Pablo's season as a whole? Although it did get cut short right at the All Star break where he had his injury. Oof, nothing short of elite. Pablo Lopez was was stud <clears throat> when he was on the mound. He was phenomenal. He was a bona fide number two starter for this team, which was, you know, knees deep in pitching. So I I, I assume he'll be back as our number two as well. Um, and he, you're right, Kevin. His season was cut short. Just that concerning shoulder that's been plaguing him for a couple of years now. Hopefully he'll be back. He didn't. He did rush back a little bit just to get, you know, sort of back on the big league mound at the last start of the, of the season, yep. which I guess was worth it just for, you know, mental sake. To, for him to know, for the team to know, he he was healthy to finish the year. 
So he'll be back in spring training, I assume, with the Marlins. And yeah, that just the moment that caught up to me, I read it earlier that you told me it does that. Striking out nine batters to start a major league baseball game, striking out nine Atlanta Braves, the World Series champion. Atlanta yeah. Braves. It was a it was a record, and I think that's something he's gonna remember forever. And, and those are the World Series Braves, which is gonna be the first opponent that we see in the season opening day in 2022 so yeah just for a little reference five and five 307 era 20 games 102.2 innings pitched so i guess that start that final start got him to those 100 innings he had 115 strikeouts and 1.12 whip which elite as you said it i mean he's one of the most underrated pitchers in all of baseball when you really look at it or at least in this marlin system which is you know, looking minor leagues and major leagues, Sandy, Trevor, I guess Luzardo now, I guess, because of that, haul, I guess the haul that Miami got from the Marte trade, Luzardo was a big time guy. Max Meyer, Yuri Perez, which we talked about earlier. Those guys are overshadowing, overshadowing what Pablo Lopez could do with Miami Marlins. He's a number two, number three pitcher. I, I think the future for him holds him as the number three. I don't know if they'll put Trevor at two after the kind of season he had. Maybe you want to get into that but if you look at notable moments in that season that pablo had the nine straight k's as you mentioned and his start in wrigley field where i think he won to shut out eight innings then after uh i think it was anthony bass who let a home run fly obviously so i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about um maybe where you could see him in the future with the marlins yeah you know i think you said it perfectly the fact that he's been overshadowed probably by sandy alcantara and by trevor rogers and even to a lesser extent, he was overshadowed by guys like Luzardo and Edward Cabrera. And Lopez has just been sort of that staple in the rotation and just yeah. honestly, probably the most consistent behind Sandy. So I, I think he's gonna, his future is going to be very important. And he's going to be the number two. If Sandy's gone, it's not the number one because I, I would put him over Trevor and the pitching depth for sure. I think Pablo's an immaculate pitcher. He has great control. He has great changeup. throws hard now. So, yeah, I think his future with the team would be no, obviously no lower than the number three starter in any big league rotation. Yeah, and there was obviously that talk about trading him at some point. And just for another reference, 2020, he was the only one who stayed consistently playing. Mm -hmm. he, he, he wasn't one of the 18 Marlins who, who got COVID and had to sit out. Sandy was one of the 18, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Uh, he was the best pitcher for the Marlins that season. Sandy did have that immaculate start in New York, but you, that – you have to remember, Pablo Lopez pretty much carried that pitching rotation yep. uh, until Sandy came back, and then I guess the weight was a little bit off his shoulders, but Sixto came in after two. So, yeah, Pablo was was very good that 2020 season. 2021, obviously overshadowed by Sandy, who had one of the best seasons. I think his best season as a Marlin, I would say, was 2021 for Sandy. He, he just dominated. Y yeah, Pablo Lopez, man, this this mm -hmm. guy is a stud. Uh, looking at the, the, the meme there with the Macarena. But, yeah, let's get on to the next topic, which is the bullpen. Um, Andrew Chaffin's, I think it was a mutual option that got declined, or he opted out. Uh, he's an option out for the Marlins. So going to the bullpen, what are some free agent slash trade options that, that you look at? And then I want to go with internal options, but we'll get into that later. Well, with a team like Miami, you never want to invest too much money in a bullpen option. I think yep. if they stuck internal, I think they're not in a horrible situation. I think they're too to three max guys away from having like a, a really solidified bullpen there. I would go for someone like Rysel Iglesias. I think he's mm -hmm. expressed some sort of, you know, interest in being in Miami, allegedly. Like first player who's actually shown interest to, to come to Miami. Exactly. And he has elite stuff, elite closer stuff, and he's been doing it for a long time. And I think that would be a move where it would be a little expensive and maybe be a three-year thing, which 
most teams, especially Miami, would probably be hesitant to do and to give to a reliever. But I think he's someone where, hey, if you're trying to win now, he'd really like solidify the back end of that bullpen really quick. So I think he's the top bullpen target for me. If you want to go crazy, a guy like Craig Kimbrell. But I think Andrew Shaven as a lefty would be a would be a good move as well. You know, you're gonna buy low on the bullpen, so you might as well go for Chafin, who makes a lot of options. There's also Tyler Clippard, who I mentioned, just old, but I mean, in a one-year minor league deal, you would easily do that, or maybe as a non-roster invite to the training camp. Uh, internally, I do have a couple names. One that I think is gonna shock you is in the Arizona Fall League. I think you may know where I'm going with this, but you have Eliezer, who we've always spoken about to be a perfect bullpen option for the team. Injury prone makes sense for him to go one to two innings. Cody Poteet, I just don't see a spot for him in the starting rotation for the Marlins. But look, look what they did with Zach Thompson. Very similar situation with Poteet. They both came in at a random spot in the season. They played well, and now Zach Thompson's a bullpen guy. I think Poteet goes in there. Jeffrey Yan was the guy I was talking about. I mean, although now his ERA just flew up all of a sudden. He's a guy I would watch out maybe to, to be in. I think he's in double a right now maybe he goes to triple a and we'll see where that goes jordan holloway obviously another name we could look at dan castano who, who makes a lot of sense there and then jesus Luzardo, which obviously maybe some people are going to disagree but it, it makes sense because of how, how loaded miami is at at starting pitching and you have max meyer at the brink of um, at the at the brink of the majors anytime because of his dominant performance two performances in triple a which in one of those he had career highs and strikeouts so uh, I want to get your thoughts on those internal options. Yeah, I think Holloway fits great. I think he performed really well when he was pitching out of the bullpen this yeah. year. Holloway would be like my best guest for like a high leverage situation for him. And Eliezer, if he's with Miami, sure. Yeah. And Luzardo, I think just the team is going to give them give him every opportunity to start. You know, they gave up Marte yeah. for him. So I think he's going to be in spring training as a starter. I think he's going to open the season as one of the five starters. Which would kind of put a conundrum. Someone, one of him, Edward or Sixto, you know, they can't all be in the rotation unless you do a six-man rotation, which I doubt they'll do. So mm -hmm. someone's gonna have to go to the bullpen. So that's gonna be something to look forward to in spring training. Because you remember, you have the big three who we know will be there in Sandy, Pablo, and Trevor. And then one of the three has to go to the bullpen in Jesus Uzardo, Edward Cabrera, and Sixto Sanchez. Because assuming they're all healthy, so and that's gonna be something to look forward to. And I don't think they're gonna put Edward in the bullpen, nor will they put Sixto. So yeah. maybe Luzardo opens the year in the bullpen, but I just feel they would either start him in the minor leagues as a starter or they would try to avoid that at all costs to start off anyway. Yeah, and you mentioned the the starting five. Eliezer's in that starting five right now, which it, it it's really iffy if he if he will be in that starting five or if Miami has just so much talent that they say, all right, let's move you to the bullpen and then let's let's trade you away. But yeah, uh, this this starting five is going to be very interesting to see how it goes. We know the big three, as you said, but then after that, you have Eliezer, you have Eddie Sixto, which we have to see how he comes back first. Maybe he's not fully ready, although it's expected for him to be ready at spring training. I think that's what the report said. Mm -hmm. Then you have Jesus Lazardo. So it's going to be tricky to see what happens. And uh, let's get into the next topic, which is Chris Bryant. Uh, Eli talked about him on the shopping aisle, and I guess it inspired me to talk about him on here today as well. Um, is he a good option for the Marlins? Eli said that it's like a better version of Chris Taylor. And I'll get into the stats later because I have the World Series year stats and then his 2021 stats. But I want to get your uh, opinion on Chris Bryant. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has the positional versatility 
to, you know, kind of fit with what Miami would want. He can play some left field. And, you know, we don't know the situation that Brian Anderson's going to come back in. So he needs to play third. Chris Bryant can even play a little center field. He can play some right. I, I think he can play some first as well. So he would be someone that I, like, you can kind of think of as a bounce back candidate. I know he didn't have the best year of his career this yeah. year. I don't know what a price tag on him would be. I, I believe Scott Boris represents him. I'm not sure. Ooh, that's so, going to be a big deal. So it's going to be a pain in the in the tuchus to deal with him. But, yeah, if he becomes available, that's an option. That's a right-handed power bat who can also hit the ball out of any ballpark, including Marlins, uh, Lone Depot Park. So, yeah, I would I would welcome that signing for sure. Yeah, just to look at the stats, 3.3 war in 2021, 513 at-bats. 136 hits, 25 homers, 265 batting average, 8 runs, 73 RBIs, 353 OBP, 481 slugging, uh, 835 OPS. That's in 2021. And now the 2016 year where they won the World Series, uh, he had 155 games played, 121 runs, 176 hits, 39 homers, 102 RBIs, 292 batting average, 385 OBP, 554 slugging, 939 OPS. So... Yeah, a little bit of a dip from his 2016 to his 2021, but Chris Bryant still plays at an elite level today. Uh, he's one of the best players in the league, or at least one of the best infielders in the league. He was an all-star just a couple seasons ago. He he still There's plays a at a high level. And obviously, Chris Taylor would be the cheaper version, but I, I don't know if you really want to, you know, Chris Taylor and uh, Chris Bryant, those would be, I guess, the two biggest options for Miami, at least. I mean, yeah, but I, I don't think you can even compare Chris Taylor to the type of, you know, consistent no, offensive yeah. production that Chris Bryant would bring you. Um, Taylor, just he's – it's probably more – like, you know, you've seen him more of it just because of the team he's been on and the po the amount of times he's been in the postseason, probably every year of his career. So that, yeah, looks good. But if you can have a guy who in his down year hits 25 home runs and has 123 weighted runs created, you go after Chris Bryant. That would be – a maybe a pipe dream but i think that's someone that gets a name that people in miami will come to see yeah and especially with all the positions that he plays as you mentioned miami yeah. needs a center fielder he's not the best center fielder out there on the market no. for sure but it's an option maybe you even put de la cruz in the center field maybe you bring back adam duvall and you put mm -hmm. him at center fielder you got one of these outfielders that we'll get into that opted out of their contracts or got declined uh the mutual option i'm pretty sure and they could go play center field, and you put Chris Bryant left field, and you have Azus in right. Or maybe they get rid of Brian Anderson, or and Chris Bryant fits right at third base. So there's a lot where you could go with Chris Bryant here. I think the only thing that would hold them back is the money. And I wanted to get into utility, guys, because I know we've been talking about Chris Taylor and Chris Bryant. Besides Chris Taylor, what are some other options that the Marlins could go out with the utility rule? Oh, I know where you're going with this. I know you want your Lurie Garcia guy as the <laughs> as the utility one. Um, I have two, but Lurie was one. Yeah. Well, aside from him, I mean, I think the Marlins have one of the best utility guys in baseball. If Miguel Rojas isn't the starter next year, if they for some reason get one of these stud shortstops that are free agents, I think that's something that Keith Law mentioned, that now is the time. And Rojas would be the perfect. He can play first base really well, every infield position really well. Hell, if you put him in left field, he could probably play pretty well. So I think Rojas would be one of those guys that no one really talks about to be a great utility one. And he could even start three to four times a week against lefties. So that's someone I would consider. And if John Birdie's healthy, I don't know how he's doing with his concussion. I think we're waiting updates on that. But he's also someone that I, I'd like to see uh, kind of go into that role as well. 
Yeah, as you know, I have my guy, Lurie Garcia, who I've been hyping up as a good option for the Marlins. Not the best one, but an option that they could go with. Very good season, at least in my opinion. 267 batting average. He had 100, 111 hits, 5 homers, 54 RBIs, 335 OBP, 711 OPS. Um, and he plays second base, third base, shortstop, left, center, and right. So it's a big variety of positions that you could just throw him in there pretty much anywhere. But first in the pitching position, obviously, in catcher. But it makes a lot of sense. And the other name I have is Josh Harrison, who... Mm-hmm. Who makes a lot of sense as well. He he plays a good variety of positions, pretty much the same ones as Larry. He plays. Oh, I don't even have it right now. Uh, but he in five hundred five at bats, fifty eight runs, one hundred forty one hits, eight run, eight homers, <coughs> sixty RBIs. He had a better season than uh, Larry, and he did get traded midway when he was with the Nationals. Two seventy nine batting average, seven forty one OPS. Makes a lot of sense, and I do want to compare these guys to a guy like John Birdie, who, as we know. I guess was the utility guy for Miami last season, playing outfield, pretty much all the infield spots. You had 233 at bats, 49 hits, four homers, 19 RBIs, 210 batting average, uh, 624 OPS. Obviously, his season got cut short for him. His concussion, as we all know, still waiting for that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you want to, you know, go into any of the guys that I mentioned or I, I who I made up came up. Yeah, no, I think Josh Harrison just provides some flair that the team kind of lacks. We saw a lot of him when he was with Washington this year. Yep. And, you know, he's he's not the player he was with Pittsburgh, obviously, anymore. But he's a guy that can still put the bat on the ball, and he's got a decent swing. He's got a little bit of speed. He can play all the infield positions, probably play some outfield. So I think he's someone that, you know, if they don't get Aluri Garcia or, you know, Birdie isn't 100%, I, I think Josh Harrison makes some sense. Yeah, and I wanted to get into outfield. We talked about Brian Reynolds. Seems unlikely now with the high price that that Pittsburgh gave Seattle. So imagine what Pittsburgh gave Miami as a high price. I want to go into a couple guys that opted out or their uh, contracts got declined for next season. And I do want you to go a little bit through the Adam Duvall mutual stuff. So Nick Castellanos, obviously, I think this one was expected, opting out of the two years left in his deal. Adam Duvall, Avisael Garcia, Kevin Pillar. Ian Desmond, who uh, I don't even want in Miami, no offense. But And then the declined players were Andrew McCutcheon and Adubo Herrera. I guess we could go through every guy here since we have time. Nick Castellano starting with him first. Obviously, he, he's a big-time player. He's a big fish for the Marlins. Marlins have shown interest, it looks like, from Craig Mish uh, and some other reporters. Uh, what, what what would Nick Castellanos bring to Miami besides play, seats, play, uh, fans in the seats, and for sure a better offense? Yeah, local guy, uh, big name, great with Detroit. He had that crazy season where he had like 58 doubles. He's just, I think, Aram, I'm sorry, I don't know if he's pronouncing it right. He he said it perfectly. He's one of the best pure hitters in all of baseball. Is he going to hit 40 home runs in Lone Depot Park? Probably not. But he will give you those great at-bats, and he's just one of the better offensive players in all of baseball. And I know some of the stats away from Great American Ballpark might scare some teams away. To me, I think just those home runs turn into – extra base hits you know so i think he's someone that would really make a lot of sense here and it would be a lot he opted out of two years 34 million remaining so that's 17 annually so whatever he, you know miami if miami gets him they'd have to pay him i would say north of 23 24 close it would be maybe a four-year hundred million dollar deal yeah uh castellanos first of all please come to miami we desperately need you now what would the outfield look like because he 
I don't know how many games he played in center field, but I don't think he'd be the guy we would put no, in center field at all. He wouldn't be in center field. He'd be in left, or he can play a little infield as well. He can play third. But I think they'd put him in left, and whatever center fielder the Marlins roll out will be in center field, obviously. And you have Jesus in right. So I think Nick Castellanos, you get Chris Bryant, put him at third, and you're looking good. You can even play around with one of them playing a bad center field and have Brian Anderson in right field and have Chris Bryant at third. Like you can just You can do some things here. That's been something we that I think I've been hearing a lot more of Brian Anderson, put him at put him at um right field again, but then you have Jesus Sanchez and maybe he could go to center field and maybe he benefits from that. Obviously, I don't think he's played any barely any center field at least in the minors and in majors, but something to try out. Maybe your outfield looks Castellanos, Bryant, and Jesus Sanchez. Uh, and I know what Glenn said with Jazz at center field tried out. Maybe I mean he he's been a little bit struggling at least in shortstop, so maybe set maybe move him to the uh, center field spot. A lot of ways you could go defensively with Castellanos. Now offensively, this guy uh, he's been one of the most consistent guys on that Reds team. RBI machine, low walk rate. I'm pretty sure uh, the homers we've obviously seen that this guy has a lot of power. So let's go into Duval. Uh, Go a little bit through what happened today with Adam Duvall. If you could, I guess, go go into it more on the analytics side, I guess, in a way. With, yeah, 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 really quick, before, before we go into Duvall, I wanted to mention just the jazz center field thing. I, you know, like, it's funny. I, I had never heard that as an option. Me neither, that was the first time. Yeah, I had never thought of it as an option either. He was just, you know, shortstop. Derek Jeter hand-selected this player from Arizona. It was no one else. He saw him at the Arizona Fall League. He liked him. He chose him. He told his people, go acquire him. It took Zach Allen, but it looks like the Marlins are going to end up, you know, at least breaking even or winning that trade. So with Jazz, he he has by far the speed to do it. I don't know if he's got the arm behind him, but I think that's something it would open up some infield spots because you can keep Rojas at short. I don't know if Castellanos, if you want to try him at second. I don't think no. that's it's in Diamond Dynasty over here. But it'd be interesting to see because, you know, Rojas can play second and the Marlins do go after one of these stud shortstops. There you go. You have Castellanos and left. So I think that just like sort of solves more holes if you were to do that. But I don't know if that's – I think Jazz has shown trem- like tremendous skill at second base. I saw him in spring training. I saw him all year long at second base. He made some really bad errors, but at the same time, he also made some pretty spectacular plays. So hey, The Marlins the Marlins do have uh, Isan Diaz, you know. Let's get yeah, him at second there. I don't want, I don't want Jazz to block Isan's path to greatness. But yeah, yeah. no, Jazz, I, I think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna ask him to do that. They the Padres did ask Tatis to move to center field and he did play some center field. He wasn't phenomenal out there, but he did it. So, you know, hey, if the Padres can ask Fernando Tatis Jr. to go to center field, I think Jazz can uh they might. I'm I'm very curious to see if they if they ask Jazz to do that. Let's go into Duval here. What went down today, Isaac, with the contract with Duval and what it how it affects the Marlins big time, to be honest. This trade was unconstitutional. This it was blasphemous. On I think Craig uh, said it perfectly. I will read out the tweet. Miami had complete control over this player. Tender, non-tender, extend, trade. You can do whatever you want. But their top choice was to dump him for a guy who had the potential to be a backup catcher in Alex Jackson. Alex yep. Jackson Jackson has shown nothing with the bat at all. He's actually shown horrendous things with the bat, striking out in almost fifty percent of his at bats at the yep. big league level. And you traded him. Not only did you trade him away, you traded him to a division rival. You're gonna have to deal with for the next year at least. That won the World Series as well. We have to keep that. That won the World Series. That's a trade. It's on the screen now. And he's not only just a great bat; he's a great defender in right field as well. Glenn mentioned it. He had no. Him and I 
had no idea how good defensively this player was until we just saw him not even just making spectacular plays or all the assists that he had because he had a lot of assists, but just cutting balls off in the corner, cutting balls off in the right center field gap. He's doing a phenomenal job playing right field and just dropping 38 home runs the way he did pretty easily and just being so clutch at times. It was, wow, that's going to go down as a really bad one. To me, it was unconstitutional, that trade. Yeah, and, and now I think he goes into arbitration, if I'm correct. So the Braves are going to have a good shot at keeping this guy. And then I guess it opens the door to all the other guys that they brought in from the trade deadline along with uh, Duvall. They'll maybe keep one more to have a fourth outfielder since I guess they'll put Duvall in the outfield along with Ronald Acuna because mm -hmm. we don't know how long the Ozuna suspension could be if he gets suspended. So what does Duvall bring to Miami? I mean, we, we already saw in the first half, but this could be an option at center field for the Marlins for sure. He, he brings just character, experience, power, and he's a World Series champion. So I think he bring he checks all the boxes. I you said the Braves can tender him. They have till December second to tender him a contract. He's arbitration eligible. So we'll have to see what they end up doing. I guess it would have to be a trade. But I don't see the Braves trading him back to Miami, and I don't see yeah. the not I don't see the Braves non tendering him again. They made that mistake last year. They just non tendered him, which made him available for Miami. And so we'll see what the Braves do. The ball's on their court. But if he were somehow to come back to Miami, I think it would make all the sense in the world. Yeah, and something you mentioned on the live streams recently. This guy <coughs> single-handedly won games for Miami. Single-handedly. LA, the, the LA game, I think. Two of the LA games. Single, three won three to two. They won three, uh, three to two. He had the three-run home run, and he threw out Mookie Betts at the plate. And he, he had so many other games that we could obviously mention uh, – there were a lot of them. He he really carried the load for the team, at, at least in the first half of the season, obviously got traded. Uh, Alex Jackson, man, this guy's been a disappointment. We could get a little bit into him. Bat, it's been it's been horrible. There's no other way to say it. The only positive has been that the best month that Sandy pitched, he was the catcher most of the time. He's been decent defensively, but besides that, I'd rather have a Peyton Henry and a Nick Fortes who showed a lot more promise. But <clears throat> something that we've noticed that's been the trend is Miami Miami uses these guys until they have little to no value. Isan Diaz was traded for Christian Yelich. Lewis Brinson was traded for Christian Yelich. Jesus Lazardo, you mentioned it. He's going to get all the possibilities in the world because Starlin Marte was the guy they traded for him, and they can't they they have to try to not lose this trade. So that's probably what they're going to do with Alex Jackson. He will not be the starting catcher for sure, but they'll give him a lot of chances as a backup, and I think he will be the backup at the end of the day. Yeah, with with Jackson. It was just some really, really ugly numbers. Unfortunately, the one thing that did stand out to me, you know, being on the field a few games was the raw power he has. It's tremendous. I think it's by far surpasses anyone on the team. It, he was reaching the concession stands with ease. He was going center field, upper deck. And so he, he does have the raw power. But if you just look at his career stats, he, he in his career, he's at 151 at-bats. He struck out in 82 of them. He struck out in more than 50% of his at-bats. That is some Sean Reynolds, Monte Harrison type numbers. And <laughs> those guys are not going to be in the big league. So it's a shame. I don't know what they were thinking with this trade. Because even before he came to Miami and struggled, he didn't really show anything with Atlanta the last two years. Albeit a very small sample size. But he just didn't show anything. He homered for the first time this year. So, yeah, we're going to be scratching our heads at this one for a long time. And he somehow did get a World Series ring with the Atlanta Braves. For playing 10 games on that team yeah. uh what else can we Eli actually can like come and join on this really quick I, i'm a little excuse my ignorance i'm confused as to yeah, yeah, yeah i didn't know if you had you had to be on the team at one point for a world series ring even if you were 
pinch ran on opening day and you never play for that team again, you still get a World Series right. Oh, nice to join you guys. Yep. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, it's up to the team's discretion to determine. Oh. They don't. They're not mandated to give rings to every single guy that appeared in a game, especially if. Um, I mean, we'll use Ozuna for example. I mean, if he left the team on these very ugly terms for the season, they put him on the restricted list, and when he was healthy, they don't feel he contributed in a positive way. They don't. They're not mandated to give him a ring. Um, but it's it's a really gray area. It's up to you know leadership to decide it. And of course, there's a whole lot of people that don't play for the team that they feel are very valued within the organization. Right. And so there's only a, a finite number of rings, I guess. It depends on ownership, how many rings you want to make. Um, maybe, but I imagine there's some sort of limit and they, they pick and choose the people that mean the most, even if they're players or not. But it's a gray area. It's really subjective. Right. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe there's like different rings for different players. I feel like you guys like Freddie Freeman will get like the A rings. I think David Samson was talking about this when the Marlins won it how there's like A rings and there's B rings and some players actually like filed grievances based on like the ring that they got. Is that tr true still or no? I, I really can't speak much to that. I imagine it does vary a little bit from team to team mm -hmm. that especially this day and age, there's this level of customization. There might be more than just A and B. It might be A, B and C and D and there might be uh, a, a whole bunch like, of tiers of this because yeah. we have the technology to to customize this stuff and, and do it quickly. So that's that's interesting though. That's I imagine that does create a little bit of drama, even when everybody's yeah. supposed to be happy about it. And in my opinion, like unnecessary drama, because obviously like the A ring is gonna be a show where it's gonna have more diamonds, it's gonna be all that. But like you know, what if the Marlins had one, for example, you give Sandy an A ring, what are you gonna give like Cody Poteet a B ring? So it's just <laughs> it, it's very it's you know, I don't think you'd want that situation. Uh, to me, it should be a million A rings if you have to. You're a billion dollar organization, I think you can afford yeah. all, all the A rings. And happy birthday to Eli. Happy today, birthday. Thursday. Uh, it's his birthday today, so happy birthday, Eli. Thank uh, you. November 4th, happy birthday to our boss, to our, our man, our dad. Thank you so much for making all this yes, happen, sir. brother. Yeah, one of the highlights of, of this entire day, just behind the scenes on this pod. It's been a busy <laughs> day, but this is one of the highlights for sure. Thank you, guys. Yep, let's uh, let's continue. Avisao Garcia. Uh, I, I think he opted out of the contract, or it was a de decline. Uh, either way, he's a free agent. Your thoughts on him? I know he was an option at some point when the Corey Dickerson signing when he was up for sure, I guess, in that same price range as Dickerson. Is that something Miami visits now? And maybe they go for him in uh, Castellanos? Some, Probably some kind not. of mix. Probably not. I think Eli said it well. It's just if they're going to go after an outfielder, I think they should um, they should reach a little higher than him. Uh, yeah. He is a free agent. He did have a decent year this year. He was a three win player and he slugged almost 500 above average player. But I, you know, I think he just crushes lefties a lot more than in that ballpark of Milwaukee. The numbers were probably inflated a tad. So I don't know if that's the first guy, but he's definitely an option. You know, if he can start maybe 80, 90 games and come off the bench, but I think he'd be more expensive than what the Marlins would want to pay for that type of player. So I think he, he's definitely on the board. I know he's going to be on Derek Jeter's board, but I don't know how high. Yeah. And then we have a uh, Kevin Pillar, but quickly with a VCIO. Yeah, I guess this guy could be an option. Let's say, you know, let's say Castellanos is gone off the market. Duval goes back to Atlanta with the arbitration. Maybe, maybe, maybe you look at a VCL as an option. We played a series in Milwaukee. I don't know if he played it. I'm pretty sure he got a homer off that series at some point. But yeah, moving on to the next guy a little bit. 
I guess unknown Kevin Pillar. Uh, he had his injury this season, got hit in the, in the nose with the ball. Shout out to him for coming back and making the the comeback off that. Yeah, your thoughts on Pilar? I, I don't think he's an option at all for Miami, but I mean, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I know with Toronto, he was Superman. You know, he was one of the best defensive center field fielders yeah. in all of baseball. Oh, yeah, he was yeah. the Giants for a little bit, just offensively kind of limited. In 2021, he had an OPS under 700. Again, I don't think he's the type of guy that Miami goes after at all. I think they yeah. need offense, and I think they're finally willing to sacrifice some defense for, for good offense, something that they haven't been willing to do at all. But I think this year they're starting to realize, hey, you have the pitching. If you have the pitching, you don't need the defense as much, even though like it would be nice to have all of them. But that's why a guy like Starling Marte is so valuable because he brings you all of it. But, hey, we, they traded him anyway. Yeah, so, with Marte, I do think they'll do the, the due diligence. I'm sure they'll at least, at least call him. Be like, hey, uh, want to come back to Miami? Him. Yeah, Kim Ang will call him, invite him to dinner, maybe go to Hillstone for a nice 8 o'clock seating, and they'll talk, and he'll want four years to finish off his career. She'll say no. And that's she'll it. Bleep that. Maybe she'll offer him three years, $45 million with a club, with a mutual option for a fourth. I don't know. Who knows? But I think Marte would be great to come back as well. He had a great year, man. Yeah, and he, he's been one of the best players in this organization. Although it was a short stint, he was one of the most impact yes. players the Marlins have had throughout the whole rebuild. Although Miggy Rowe, you can for sure put up there in the terms of leadership. Um, Marte has been one of the most impact players on this team. And he was one of the more well-rounded guys. Maybe he gets maybe the Marlins at this point say, you know, let, let's do our due diligence and let's overpay a little bit in terms of paying money. And then the years they cut it down to three. Although I think he just wants years. He he, he wants to secure himself for, for four years and wants to lock it up. Because most likely this will be his last big time major league contract until he gets maybe a one or two year deal. Yeah, this is this is the first time he's a free agent. So he you know, it would make sense that he's gonna test this out. And what I was going to say was Glenn did make that point that you just made, Kevin, that he, you know, of all the players that Miami has had in its long, in its, I guess, kind of That's brief said it. I thought it was Mish. I thought it was. I thought uh, it, was, it, was Glenn. it was Glenn, and it was since, you know, since 93, since Miami has been inaugurated. You can look at Stanton. You can look at a guy like Gary Sheffield. You can look at, you know, but a guy who has all five tools the way Starling Marte does, I don't know how many guys are were as good as Marte was in a Marlin uniform. You know, Yelich, he mentioned Yelich that, you know, he he wasn't the player he was in Milwaukee with Miami. I, I, I was going to mention Giancarlo to him, but we ran out of time. But, yeah, yeah. I, I would say Marte really is one of the best players to ever put on a Marlin uniform, not based on how much he did because, obviously, he was here for two halves. Very short time, yeah. But he was one of the better players to ever put on a Marlin uniform. And something cool to note about Marte in that 2020 season is 60-game season, he played 61 games. Yeah. So just a, a cool – thing there to talk about that is a cool i mean line. i'm not gonna go too much into ian desmond but i mean i just looked at the john Heyman reports but i'm not even gonna go much into this guy uh Great play the last two seasons but besides that he's not coming to miami anytime soon just want to mention here because i guess i went through the john Heyman reports today which a lot of actions going on in free agency in terms of the outfield market and desmond was one of them who milwaukee uh colorado bought out this i think it was teddy or yesterday for two mil yeah, no, great arm when he was with Washington. I was a fan of his. Now yeah. he's just nothing to consider, I would think, for Miami. Yep. And then finally, I guess the two guys that got their options declined. Abdul Herrera, who who I guess has re revitalized his career in Philadelphia this last year, revived it a little bit. 
And then Andrew McCutcheon, who has been on a small decline little by little. I mean, after his Pittsburgh days, it hasn't been too successful for him. But your thoughts on those guys? And I guess Abdubal could be a possible option if you give him some kind of small deal. But McCutcheon, I, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually kind of think McCutcheon would make more sense than Odubel. I Even though like I like Odubel as a player probably more at this point in both their careers, it's just that you know, Odubel has a lot of off-the-field issues that I don't know if Miami wants to deal with. He, uh, he has been suspended before for domestic violence. And he, from what I've heard when I was covering one of the Phillies games, one of the Phillies writers told me that he is a colossal bleep hole. At times he hates <laughs> interviews. He just doesn't seem like the type of guy, the type of personality, the type of character that Miami tends to target. And McCutcheon, he wasn't horrible in 2021, had a 1.3 war and slugged 444. I know he homered off Trevor Rogers last year. He had some nice moments. He can hit the ball out. But yeah, I think he's, you know, on the tail end of his of his magnificent career. But I, I don't yeah. think either of them make too much sense for Miami. And and although he did play center field and he's pretty good defensively, we've seen that. It, it could be an option for sure, but I just I don't see it happening. I see maybe more, although he does have a lot of field issues, Abdubal is a lot younger, I think, than Andrew McCutcheon. And he's a Latin guy, Miami, very Hispanic community. So maybe that makes sense in terms for him. Obviously, we spoke about Jorge Soler, which I, <coughs> I, I forgot to mention on here. He did win the MVP, first Cuban, second Cuban to do it. Last time, our good buddy, old friend, uh, Levon Hernandez, who did it in 1997. So, Sorry. yeah. I, I want to get a little bit into Jorge here to, to round up the podcast, which we're already in 44 minutes through. Uh, thoughts on Soler and maybe come to Miami. I mean, he, he, he's he's a power bat for sure, what Miami looks for, but I think he's a lefty. Yeah, so he is a free agent as well. He I, I mentioned it on the live stream yesterday. He had a negative 0.4 wins above replacement. He was, you know, a replacement level player essentially. And just got hot at the right time in the postseasons, which just really sort of like, you know, enhanced his image. I don't know if Miami would want to go that route. I know he had a great year with Kansas City. I think it was 2019. I don't remember. Yeah, 2019. He he had like 45 big yeah. home runs and he was insane. But since then, it's really been sort of limited. He hasn't hit above 230 since then. So I don't know if that's the route Miami would want to go. He does seem to get on base a little bit, but, you know, and we know he has the light tower power ever since he's been a Cubs prospect. But that's, I think that's someone also that's going to be on Derek Jeter's board and Kim Ng's board, and we'll just we'll see if, if he ends up coming. Yeah, at the end of the day, when it comes to all these outfielders we just spoke about, um, they're going to be on the board for sure. Not, not Desmond and maybe not Pilar, but you also have to think what's going to attract the fans. What are the fans going to want? Obviously, you look at the baseball part of it, but you also have to look at the community, which they've done a great job with. But the one thing they haven't been able to do is bring fans to the stands. There was a game that I went to, and that was the game I met you at. Uh, it was the Pittsburgh one. There was barely anyone there right before first pitch, and and you told me twelve thousand, and, and I couldn't believe it because they did not look like twelve thousand fans were at a baseball stadium. So, Corey Hisler is a Cuban guy. They're on Little Havana. It, it would make sense, and then Castellano, obviously, uh, he he's a Florida guy. Uh, it would make sense to also bring him in terms of that. Adam Duval played with the team, very much loved around the whole organization, and. In Miami in general. So I guess that's something else we could factor in there. Yeah, no, for sure. Soler would bring that Cuban Platano power to Miami. Yeah. I'm sure he's got the power. power. And if for some reason he got like he had a great year in Miami here, he hit 35 home runs. That would electrify this this fan base. I would think of especially if Miami has a good year and has like a good team surrounding him, him and Sandy, you know, and Pablo and Jazz. It'd be a fun team. So I think they do need to look at guys like Soler, maybe ones that are a little more accomplished and consistent like a Nick Castellanos, 
But if yeah. you get Castellanos, if you can't give him the four years, hundred million, which is like what I think he's gonna net, Solaire makes a lot of sense as like a backup plan, and yeah. maybe a one-year, eight to ten million dollar deal. Even that's it. Yeah, and, and the value of some of these Braves guys who we talked about, Eddie Rosario or his Solaire, Adam Duvall, especially, I, I think those values are gonna go up because Duvall had thirty-eight homers last season for for Miami and the Braves mm-hmm. combined. So that value isn't gonna be that. I think it was the two-year seven million dollar what, what duval got if i'm correct uh and with a mutual option i think after this season obviously that value is going to go up it's, it's going to be possibly maybe 10 mil maybe even the Corey dickerson contract that miami gave him at the time 12 million dollars for maybe two years which makes sense so yeah i don't know if you want to end it off on uh, on anything right now no just the fact that yes uh, we're uh, we're going to be at free agency officially soon we also have the the elephant in the room regarding the cba waiting to see if there's gonna be any work stoppage or any lockout of some sort i hope that's not the case it's looking like it might be unfortunately but hey let's act like if it doesn't miami has a lot of work to do to fill up these holes up the middle behind the dish we didn't really talk about catchers you know in this episode we did last time yeah. But yeah, Miami's got a lot of work to do because this is the year. It's Kim Aang's second year. It's Derek Jeter's fifth year. They're without Michael Hill. They're going to do a whole lot of turnover with the coaching staff, you'd assume. So I think you'll see Miami making a lot of moves. And it would be great to start off with a bang like Nick Castellanos. And not just that. 2022 is the year, man. Uh, Misha said it. Many have said it. That the pressure is, is, is on, man. Mm-hmm. From the bottom up. Jeter wants to win. He's tired of it. And I, I don't even want to get into what would happen in this season. This next season's a fluke because that would be a big storyline. And maybe even Maddenly's gone. Some guys would for sure be gone. I, I wouldn't yeah. say Maddenly, but I, and we'll get into that possibly next show if if we don't have a guest. We hope to have one, um, but we'll announce that possibly a day before. And this is for sure one of the most hyped off seasons in the rebuild in at least the past five to six years. I mean, this is the first time when we're talking big names. We're not talking. Let's get a Matt Joyce. Let's get a Brandon Kinsler. We're, we're talking Nick fucking Castellanos. We're talking all these big-time guys. So it, it's great to see. And this is where we're going to end it. Isaac, once again, thank you for coming on. Once again, uh, co-host, me and him. Uh, this has been such a fun ride, man. I mean, we, we talked about this yesterday, how it's already been five episodes. So uh, I can't wait for this for, for next episode. So, yeah, like, subscribe. Isaac, any last words, man? No, just I appreciate you do a great job hosting this podcast. We'll continue coming to you bi-weekly. It will drop Saturday morning. And, yeah, we will continue to do this throughout the offseason and hopefully into next season as well. Yeah, like and subscribe to YouTube. Always coming out with the uh, weekly live streams. So we'll have one next week for sure Wednesday. At every, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time from me, from me, Kevin, Isaac, Eli uh, producing. We'll see you guys all in the next one and peace out. That's a wrap, everybody.